Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Excited to be back with you again this Sunday morning to study God's Word, and uh, especially thankful that we have the opportunity now to slow down and hear from God Himself as He opens as we open up His Word together. I want to encourage you, if you are the kind of person who needs to um, stay focused during a message like this, to take notes. We really encourage note taking in this church. It really helps us to cement some of the thoughts and the the ideas from God's Word deep down into our minds and our hearts. And so it helps us to follow along. Children, if you are following along, the word we're listening for today is the word lying. Try and count how many times I say lying in today's message. All right, and then hopefully you can interact with your parents about that after the service. I'll take your Bibles now and open up with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. As we've mentioned, we continue with our study of the Ten Commandments today, and I want to read to us just again these divinely inspired words from God that He gave to Moses so many years ago. And we're going to read from verse 1, Exodus chapter 20, and we'll read the Ten Commandments together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is in the earth beneath, and that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you, your son, your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That concludes the reading of God's Word from the Ten Commandments. One of the things I really enjoy watching, and maybe you do as well, is a good 4 by 100 meter relay. This is where you have four athletes on a team that are running around the track, each person running 100 meters, working together against the other teams to see who is the fastest over 400 meters. And one of the crucial parts of such a relay is the handing over of the baton. For the race to be completed successfully, you must hand over the baton to the next runner without dropping it. Maybe some of you remember, 
and saw how the South African men's relay team dropped the baton in one of their heats during the, the, the Tokyo Olympics. It was a very disappointing race for them, I'm sure. And for all of us who were watching. Now in a similar sense, Jesus was busy handing over the baton right before we went back to heaven. He was successfully handing over the baton to His disciples to continue with the mission. But the question was, will they drop it? Or are they going to finish the race? We see this in Acts chapter 1 where the disciples are thinking about God's kingdom. They're thinking about God's kingdom and when this kingdom will come and be given back to Israel, expecting the kingdom to come at that very moment. But Jesus helps them see that the race is not yet complete. So he's about to hand over the baton to them because he says in verse 8, chapter 1 of Acts, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will be my witnesses. Jesus says. The disciples are given this amazing promise that the Spirit of God will come upon them to help them. But to help them do what exactly? He will help them be a faithful witness of the truth of the gospel to the rest of the world. And you know, just like Israel was set apart to be a witness to the nations around them, being guided by the law of God in the Old Testament, so every believer today has received this same promise of God's helping Holy Spirit. And every believer has the calling and responsibility to be a faithful witness of the truth of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We've received the baton from Jesus and the disciples and all those believers who have gone before us. I'm not sure if you all saw this, but it was just in the news these last few weeks that the same South African men's relay team that went on to achieve gold medals for their running, they're going to be stripped of all those medals because losing what they've worked so hard for because one of the runners tested positive for doping. He's using illegal supplements to help him run faster. He was being deceptive. He was being deceptive for his own advantage. And his deception dragged the rest of his team down with him. And basically, his reputation before the whole world. And we're coming to number 9 of the Ten Commandments here. Number 9 in Exodus 20 verse 16, which says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This commandment basically has to do with the issue of lying. The issue of lying. The issue of not telling the truth. The issue of giving a false testimony about someone else. And this is such an important commandment because a big part of our witness as Christians in this fallen world has to do with how we speak the truth and are known for the truth. And more specifically, how we should not be speaking falsely about other people or any other situation. In other words, how you speak of other people in front of them or behind their back shows how much you love your neighbor. This commandment helps us to evaluate whether you are someone that is known for always speaking the truth. Because if you can't be trusted to speak the truth and speak well of other people, then how can you be given the baton and be trusted to speak the truth of eternal things? In Proverbs 6, we see explicitly several things that God hates. Listen to this list. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to Him. 
haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who shows, sows discord among brothers. Twice in this list of things that God explicitly hates, He mentions this issue of lying and giving a false witness. And so another way to think about the ninth commandment is that when you lie in general, on what you say about other people, even what you say about yourself, it actually reveals what you believe about God. Why? Because God, as we have said already this morning so many times, He is the absolute standard of truth. His very nature is truth. We worship the God that cannot lie. Romans 3, 3-4 says, What if someone were unfaithful? Does their faithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means, Paul says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. And the very same Spirit that empowers us to be God's faithful witness is called what? It's called the Spirit of Truth. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, God says. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him or knows Him. You, believer, you know Him. You know Him. For He dwells with you and will be with you. You see, because God is truth, we need to represent His nature and His standard of truth to the world. A world that says there is no absolute standard of truth. A world that says anything goes. And truth is what Jesus wanted to be. And part of how we do that, how we, be, how we are that witness, is by evaluating how we speak and what we say about other people. You don't have to look very far in Scripture to see that lying and deception has been a big problem from the very beginning. Of course, the big example in the Garden of Eden, right? The father of lies, the devil, had the intention to distort the truth and with all his deception and lies because that was his very nature. And that is his very nature. We think of Cain lying to God about the location of his brother after he murdered him. We think of Abraham lying about Sarah being his wife. We think of Joseph being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, forcing him into this very difficult situation. And we can go on and on and on. But if we consider again the, the original context of the Ten Commandments again, then we will notice some very important aspects of the ninth commandment and this issue of bearing false witness against your neighbor. The original setting of this command and the Mosaic law has to do with the court system. God is commanding that people do not give a false witness against someone else when the situation must be dealt with legally. Now think about it. In those days, there were no things like special forensic investigators. No CSI that's going to show up and help solve the issue. Who could determine what actually happened at a crime scene? That kind of technology wasn't around back then. The main way you were either convicted of a crime or declared innocent was through the testimony of witnesses. Which makes the testimony of a witness very important, doesn't it? That is why if someone was going to give a false testimony about someone else, it could be the difference between that person living or dying. But that's why in God's wisdom, the law of Moses had a few built-in ways of protecting those who are being accused. To prevent people from making false testimony against someone else. Well, first, you had to have at least two witnesses. See this in Deuteronomy 19.15, which says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime, 
or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. There's only one person, then it's your word against mine. The same principle applies in the New Testament when talking about a charge, bringing a charge against an elder, 1 Timothy 5.19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. The more the witnesses, the stronger the case against you. But the second safety measure that prevented people from giving a false witness had to do with the actual execution of the judgment. In other words, when someone was sentenced to death, then it would be the job of the, the accuser to start that execution process, that judgment process, by picking up the first stone and throwing it at the accused. You see, it's one thing to accuse someone with your words. It's another thing to actually pick up a rock and stone them to death. You had to be committed to what you are saying about them. Isn't this why Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees? John 8 verse 7. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Which meant that no one could simply judge someone else without recognizing the sin and brokenness they have themselves. And of course, this is something the, the religious Pharisees were failing to do. But even more that, when we look at the law of Moses, it shows that if a person was actually found to be innocent, then the person who made the accusation in the first place would be the one who would receive the very same judgment as was meant for the one who was being falsely accused. You really, really had to be sure of what you're saying about someone else. I mean, think about if that was the case today. If you made an accusation of someone stealing something, and that person is sentenced to 10 years in jail, and they were found to be innocent, then you would have to go to jail for 10 years. And so with that background in mind, I want us to look at the ninth commandment and consider that as people who are living with the presence and the power of the Spirit of truth, then how, firstly, how do people lie and speak falsely about others today? How do people lie and speak falsely about others today? Second, we're going to look at what motivates people to lie and speak falsely about others. What's going on in the heart? And thirdly, how can we rather give a positive witness about others, using our words for good instead of evil? So firstly, how do we, people lie and speak falsely about others today? The underlying principle behind the ninth commandment is that God forbids everyone from falsehood. Falsehood. No lying or being deceitful is acceptable to God. We see this, for example, when the, when the prophet Hosea uh, was using the very ten commandments to accuse Israel of cursing, lying, murder, and stealing, and adultery. You see that in Hosea 4.2. And part of what makes lying so serious is because we use our tongues and the words that were given to us to praise God and be a witness for God to rather speak lies and speak falsely about other people. So think about it. Think of the issue of rumors and, and gossip. Rumors and gossip. It seems like no big deal, really. You're just talking with someone else about something that you heard that happened. And you secretly start to talk with them. You even talk softly and lower your voice and whisper to talk about a situation as if you were there yourself when you don't in fact even have all the facts. And it's amazing really how many friendships can be built on the foundation of bringing a false testimony against someone else because together you find unity in not loving your neighbor. Proverbs 18.8 says, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. Like we, we crave it. We love it. It tastes so good to us. They go down into the inner parts of the body. 
If you read your Bible and if you honestly look at your life, then you will know that because of sin, our speech has been so corrupted that it can't be trusted. That's why James says in James 3.8, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. You see, gossip and spreading falsehood can be something that causes great damage to someone's life. You can totally destroy someone's life and his career by spreading falsehood because it's a direct attack on their reputation. And the Bible has a word for this. This is the word slander. Slander. I think of a teacher who recently I read about who was accused by a student of, of misconduct. He was, he was fired. And even though it was proven that he was innocent and did nothing wrong, no other school wanted to hire him ever again. His reputation was destroyed. And sometimes what makes it so difficult for us is that what we are saying could be something that is actually true. What the other person did is true. So we find ways to justify ourselves by thinking that at least what I, what I speak now about him in front of other people behind their back is actually the truth. So it's not really gossip or slander. But if you really think about the issue of lying and what loving our neighbor looks like according to the ninth commandment, then you will rather ask questions like, yes, it might be true, but is it really necessary for me to say this? Let me just pause and say, if it's sin is involved, you have to speak up. You have to speak up. But the next question is, is this something that is appropriate to share? Will the person who I'm talking about appreciate it if I even say this? Would I want someone to talk about me in this way if I'm not there? And most of the time, if we're honest with ourselves we will have to acknowledge that we should rather not be saying anything. It's better to keep your mouth. You see, our default problem is that people assume the worst. Instead of giving others the benefit of the doubt, instead of it being innocent until proven guilty, we operate on the guilty until proven innocent mindset. But the Bible warns us not to jump to conclusions. Paul said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring the light to the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Our job is to protect our reputations, and to protect our neighbor's reputation. Because that is what loving your neighbor looks like. And because we only have one reputation, we want that reputation to reflect Jesus. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. And so the next time perhaps when someone starts speaking about someone else in a negative or, or harmful way, Consider the responsibility you have by lovingly saying something like, Hey guys, before we continue, perhaps it would be better if we did not speak about this person without them being here to explain. The Puritan Thomas Watson said it well when he said, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and then he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. And so spreading gossip and slander, as well as listening to gossip and slander, is one way people violate the Ninth Commandment. Another form of lying and false witness is when someone is being intentionally deceptive. Intentionally deceptive. I mean, this is when someone becomes so unashamedly skilled at lying because they've been doing it for so long. They make a habit of deceiving other people. They become so good at it that when they can twist people's words to portray themselves even as the victim. 
And honestly, deception is something that God especially warns about in the church. We are to be careful of deceptive false teachers who pretend to be someone they are not. Who pretend they have your best interests at heart, but their lives do not match up with the truth they're supposed to proclaim. Later in his life, Paul warned the Corinthians again, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Judgment day is coming. But one of the best ways to discern the truth from all the lies is if you're actually living the truth yourself. Make sure you are living the truth yourself. Thirdly, how people lie and, and spread falsehood comes in the form of flattery. Flattering other people. This is gossip in reverse. Think about this with me. Gossip in reverse. Here you are willing to say something to someone's face that you are not willing to say behind their back. Because you don't believe it's really true. I mean, you're at home with your spouse and you're like, this guy is so full of himself. I'll never be able to sit under his leadership. But then you see him at the next conference and you, and you walk into him and you're like, hey, thanks so much for such a wonderful, insightful message. Proverbs 26, 28 says, A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruin. What about exaggeration? Exaggeration. Another form of lying is when we exaggerate the truth. This is when people use words like never and always. Think of a husband and wife. They've just engaged in another heated argument. And the, and the wife says, you never help me with the kids. I have to do all of this on my own. And the husband replies, you always give me a hard time for what I do wrong. You never show me any grace. And if they stop to look at what they're actually saying in these moments, loaded with all this emotion, they will realize that what they're saying is not the truth. They are busy lying to each other because they've become so emotional about the situation. People also do this when they make things sound better than they, what they really are. This ties in maybe with the next one where, and the way people lie, which is false impressions. False impressions. People are lying and giving a false witness to what is true when they make things sound better than what they really are. Probably one of the hardest jobs you can have today is being an honest salesperson. An honest salesperson. I mean, you think of those products they try and sell you that can totally improve your life. Like this amazing mop that can clean your floor. And if you do it the right way, it'll even walk the dog for you. But what about how people present themselves in a way that's not really accurate? Look at your CV, for example. When last did you look at your CV? How many people make themselves look like the next best thing South Africa needs when they describe themselves on their CV? Outgoing personality? Check. Loves to work with other people? Check. Likes to take initiative? For sure. Likes being active and outdoors? Absolutely. Loves to work under pressure? Why not? When in fact you don't, you don't even like any of those things if you're truly honest with yourselves. And you're only saying that so that you can get the job. And what about when you talk with your friends? You're talking about exercise perhaps and how much you like it and everyone's talking about the last run they did running a five kilometer and you're like, I ran a five kilometer this week and I did it in 29 minutes. When honestly it was more like 33 minutes. But hey, 29 minutes sounds so much more impressive, doesn't it? But another way we actually support falsehood 
and lying is when we do not correct the false statements when they are made. When we do not correct false statements when they are made. For example, I recently, this is a silly simple example, I recently had the, the, the opportunity to be the referee of my son's rugby match. They were playing against a tough team, and some of the parents next to the field, they were getting a little bit passionate and upset about some of the decisions I was making on the field. And so they were starting to say things to each other about this idiot referee who's missing all the calls. But then one of the dads goes up to them and explains and says, they actually talked about this before the game. They agreed between coaches that they're not going to blow about these certain mistakes. And basically, he was defending the truth in that moment. He was protecting my reputation in that moment. Simple example, silly example, I know. But how many opportunities have we missed to correct false statements people make about other people where your silence is actually agreeing with them? Let me just mention one more. We are lying when you make promises you don't keep. Probably one of the obvious ones. When we make promises you don't keep. Ecclesiastes 5, 5 says, It is better that you should not vow or promise than that you should vow and not pay. And the examples can abound here. From a child who promises he will clean his room, but then goes off to do something else. To a husband and wife who makes promises to each other, but then rather go, out, go off to be with someone else. Breaking those promises they made before God. Well, like Hamilton mentioned, the promises we make to our children, knowing that we won't be able to keep those promises. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And I'm sure all of us can think of many more ways and examples of where falsehood and lying and a false witness can be harmful to other people. But if those are some of the ways in, in which people lie, then we must ask, what is the motivation behind all of this? What is the motivation behind lying and spreading falsehood anyway? That's our second question. So God is always concerned about what goes on in our hearts. That is, why the law, that is what the law of God does. We've been saying this week after week. It reveals to us what is really going on in our hearts. And so it's good to evaluate what are some of the reasons people might lie and speak falsely about others. See, when Jesus was trying to explain what it was that makes someone unclean, He was not thinking about how dirty your hands were. Listen to what He says in Matthew 15, 19. For out of the heart come evil. Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Jesus is using the Ten Commandments to help people evaluate what goes on in their hearts. To evaluate what motivates them to be false. And one reason people are motivated to lie and spread falsehood is simply because of selfishness, right? Selfishness. They are more concerned about themselves than they are about someone else. It's easy for them to want to protect themselves because we do the we love ourselves part, but we forget to love our neighbor like ourselves part. Another motivated to lie is because of fear. Fear. People fear the consequences of what they have done and what, the, what they will be exposed and confronted with if, if they keep secret everything they're supposed to con, con, con show to everyone else. It's much easier to lie in those moments. I mean, you think of a kid who's asked about who broke the toy or who punched his friend. And because of the fear of 
of the consequences of this, the spanking that might come, it's easier to lie in a moment and say, hey, it wasn't me. Pride is another motivation to distort the truth. Pride. When people want to impress others, like how fast they ran that five kilometers, it is easy to mess with the numbers a bit so they can seem impressive in front of others. Because it's when we are controlled by what other people think. It becomes easy to be someone you are not. To live a lie. And betray a false witness of who you really are. And if you think about it, if you're willing to speak evil about someone else behind their back, you're doing the opposite of love. What is that? You're essentially hating them. You're hating them because that is the opposite of loving them. And Satan is the master of lies because he hates God. And so every time you are motivated to lie and spread falsehood, you are hating God by doing something that He hates. And that sounds extreme. It sounds tough. But let me give you an extreme example from the Bible. I'm sure most of you know the story. Ananias and Zephyr. Ananias and Zephyr. This event is found in Acts chapter 5. And this was an exciting time to be a Christian. God was advancing His work through the disciples. He had handed over the baton to them to be witnesses in the world. And the apostles were preaching. And the Spirit was at work in amazing ways. And one of the beautiful marks of the early followers of Jesus was the way in which they took all their possessions, sold it, so they could advance the mission of the church. These believers were witnesses of what it looked like to find your treasure in Jesus and what He had done for them. So when people sold their property, for example, and gave the money back to God, it was this public declaration of their commitment to God. But there was this man from out of town called Joseph who did this. He sold one of his fields that, was, that he got from God and then he brought that money to the apostles. We actually know him better as Barnabas. This is actually Barnabas. The apostles gave him this new nickname, Barnabas, because of the encouragement he was to the mission of the church. And this wonderful gesture of giving to the kingdom. But you have Ananias and Sapphira who notice this kind of giving. They saw how his giving enhanced his reputation in the church. And so we read in verse five, uh, 1 from chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. You see, the thing with this is that's very important to know. is that... These guys were under no obligation to sell their land and give money to the church. It was purely their decision. This was purely a matter of stewardship. And so the problem was not what they did. The problem was with what they had said. They said they gave the full price to God. But in fact, they kept some of it back for themselves. And Ananias acted like he had done something fully for God, when in reality, he had done only partly for God. But for some reason, the apostle Peter knew what was going on. And he said to Ananias in verse 3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold... Was it not at your disposal? I mean, you could do with it whatever he wants. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias was being deceptive. He was lying and he was doing it all against God. He was lying to the spirit of truth. And what happened to him? Verse 5. 
when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. A few hours later, unaware of what was going on, Peter spoke to his wife, Zephira. And speaking to her, he gave her another opportunity to repent and speak the truth. But she was committed to the lie. Committed to the lie. And she received the same consequences as her husband. She fell down and she died. Proverbs 25.14 says, Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. This is an extreme example that shows us how much God hates deception and lies. And the judgment on the deception is a picture of the judgment that is coming for all liars. So let me give you another extreme example. Because was it not the very issue of giving a false witness against someone else that had Jesus nailed to the cross? This totally innocent man being falsely accused. Think about the magnitude of what God is doing through Jesus in this moment. He is falsely accused so that he can die in your place. Because the law of God says, liar, liar, you are guilty. But Jesus is treated as a liar in your place by going to the cross. So you only rise from the dead, listen to this, to be the one that now stands before the Father as your witness. You need a witness that will testify for you because you stand before the Father and this is a matter of life and death. And so we read and love the words of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? Who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. See, the truth of the gospel is that we are all liars. We all bear false witness against our neighbors. But Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. He stands between us liars and our Heavenly Father, and by turning from a life of deception and putting your faith completely in Jesus... He stands for us before the Father and guards our witness for all eternity. And God does not lie because every promise in the Bible find their yes in Jesus. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20 If you've confessed your lies to God, then the Spirit of truth leads us into a new life of truth. So that we become people who use our words to speak the truth, no matter what the situation. And so finally, let us consider, how can we rather than give a positive witness about others? Zechariah 8.16 says, These are the things that you should do. Speak the truth to one another. The New Testament, Paul said the same thing to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. See, the wonderful thing about words is that God created them to display the truthfulness of His character. Which means that God is visible where His word is visible. God is present where His Word is present. Which means when God's Word guides us in how we speak to one another, we know we are speaking the truth. We will never speak the truth unless we know the truth. And we can never live the truth 
as a faithful witness until we embrace the truth of who we really are in Jesus. God wants us to speak the truth at all times, church. Are you someone that is known for speaking the truth? And so the next time you're tempted to give a false witness about someone else, rather think of things you can say that would give a positive witness about them. Even if you didn't like what they did. Instead of talking about them, you should be talking to them. Because it's much easier for us to keep talking about someone than rather talk to them. We don't want to tell them what they are doing is wrong. We'd rather like to tell everyone else about it. We don't like it to confront other people. But think about a doctor. Think about a doctor. A doctor must tell the patient that he has cancer. It's hard for the doctor to give that information. And I'm sure it's hard for the patient to hear that information. But the best way for them to deal with the sickness together is by talking about the extent of the problem. Are you talking with others about the extent of the problem? Directly. Or is everyone else finding out about that behind their back? See, if God's Word is the medicine that guides our conversations, then we can be confident that we are being a faithful witness of the truth. The Bible makes it clear that the devil has his own language. And it's a language of lies and deceit. But God's language is being able to speak the truth in love. Being able to speak the truth in love. To be able to strengthen the body rather than poison it. Paul goes on to say, Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Instead of breaking others down, we are called to build them up. And by building them up in moments where everyone expects us to be breaking them down, you are putting the gospel of grace and truth on display. Being led by the spirit of truth, you, you, give, you, you get this new awareness of the situation you are in. Allowing you to be committed to showing others grace through your witness. Why? Because of the grace you have received yourself. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. See, it's when we are convinced of this truth, and are guided by the Spirit of truth. It makes us tender-hearted people. It makes us forgiving people. It makes us a people who use words to edify and strengthen others, to show them grace, and to protect their witness. And it makes us people who live our lives openly, with nothing to hide. Because we recognize that what the gospel says about us, that we are lying sinners who have been saved by a perfect, truthful Savior. And His Spirit bears witness, as Romans 8.14 says, that we are sons of God. It's my prayer that our lives will be a witness of the truth of the gospel and the advancement of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth through the way we speak the truth, and live the truth by loving our neighbors. Being committed to the truth that when we see sin and we need to address it, we do so graciously, directly, and in love. And so ask yourself again, am I someone that is known for always speaking the truth? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your law, your law that reveals to us once again what goes on inside of our hearts. Father, we recognize that there's so many times we are not this faithful witness of the truth. 
in the way we speak of others, in the way we, we bend the truth to fit our advantage, the way we, we, we fear the consequences if we did speak the truth, where we sort of analyze and say, uh, I, didn't, I didn't speak up about this issue because I didn't want to gossip about someone when in fact we should have spoken up. Father, give us the wisdom, give us the love that your word calls us to to love our neighbor with. That we should not make any false witnesses against our neighbor. But Lord, recognizing that right even now, you're standing before the Father, you intercede for us, and, and you guard our testimony. When the devil comes and wants to accuse us of our sin, you stand before the Father, say, forgiven, clean, righteous, Holy, because of what you have done. We all need a witness, and you are that witness for us, Lord. Help us to turn from falsehood. Help us to turn from deceit and lies, slander and gossip, and all these ways we defile your name. And help us to live passionately and freely as those who have received the baton from the Lord Jesus himself to make the truth of the gospel known to the ends of the earth through the way we love our neighbors and we pray this in Jesus name